class. Please be quiet. Shh. Shh. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. Welcome to the RPG Academy Network presents Film Studies. Welcome classroom, I am Kalum and I will be your teacher of foreign cinema. Today we will be discussing the Chinese feast, Jin Yu Man Tang, a 1995 movie directed and written by Tsui Ark. But let's see who's joining our teaching staff today. Thanks for having me. My name is Banana Chan, she, her, they, them. I am the owner and co-founder of a small box board game publishing company called Game in a Curry. And we just started publishing RPGs this year. So that's the thing that we're working on. On top of that, we just released our game, Jiang Shi Blood in the Banquet Hall, which is now out in print and play. And that's basically all I've been working on this entire year. That's quite a bit. And I mean, curry, banquet, we're all already in the meat <laughs> of the topic of this movie. <laughs> I really like food, yes. <laughs> If you were a teacher, what kind of teacher were you? Like, what kind of subject or what kind of personality? <laughs> well, both. So, I'm the teacher of foreign cinema at the RPG Academy faculty. If you are a guest teacher at the faculty, ah. what type of teacher would you be? I would say probably a strange RPG teacher, and I just teach strange RPGs. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> all about you. Hi, my name is Yvonne. I am a freelance TET RPG writer based in Taiwan and also Taiwanese. And I've done a lot of work this year. Unfortunately, a lot of them are under NDA, so I can't actually talk about most of them. Exciting. That said, I have self-published TTRPG adventures such as The Land of Pangu, which is based on the legend of Pangu from Chinese mythology, and that's sort of the area that I specialize in in a lot of my writing. Great. What kind of teacher? Actually, before I was a freelancer, I was an English tutor. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Hilarious enough, I actually used tabletop RPG to try and teach English because I was working with kids. It worked very well. <laughs> oh, that's really smart. Our guest on the never-ending story episode was Kairul Isham from Malaysia. And that's what he does too. He teaches English using role-playing games. It's such a very, very good tool. For sure, yeah. Little content warning. This movie includes a little bit of violence, some things which might be triggering regarding pregnancy and miscarriages, and some animal cruelty as well. You have been warned. Regarding this podcast itself, on top of discussing those topics, I don't think we'll have uh, some explicit language. There might be a word or two. If that's the case, I will bleep them out. To start our tradition, what I'm going to put on the cover of this beautiful episode, what's your one-sentence review and how much stars would you rate that movie on a scale of five? So I gave this movie a five out of five, <laughs> uh, mostly for the nostalgia. Because I grew up in Hong Kong, and I said it was a feast for the senses. <laughs> no, really, it's a part of the plot. It really is. <laughs> Brilliant. What about you? I gave it a tagline of a comedic banquet of many servings of Hong Kong film history, references, and parodies. 
And on the rating scale, on the other hand, I gave it a 3.5 to a 5, so it's kind of in between. <laughs> like, I can't really decide there. I will have to find a way to represent that on the cover. <laughs> but it's not going to be a challenge at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 3 to a 5 to... <laughs> question mark, question mark. I think I'm going to give it three full stars and three blank ones. This way. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I gotta have to justify myself there. I walked into the film not expecting much. On the other hand, I did sort of expect there to be a plot that I can probably follow, which I didn't find <laughs> somewhere in the beginning. And after that, I kind of just gave up on a plot. So that's how I went for the 3.5 to 5 sliding scale. I started out at a 3.5, but by the end, once I, like, threw out my desire for a plot out, I have a five-star movie. So, a little bit about the director. I don't know if you've seen any of his other films. Oh my god. But they're very similar in terms of yes, plot. Yes, <laughs> that is true. This is probably the most incoherent one. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because... Actually, Tuark is probably one of the contemporary directors which I'm the most familiar with, so I always assume that that was a Chinese way of storytelling to have that many characters and the plot being... I mean, I could still follow it, but there was quite a lot going on in parallel. I think, it honestly, it is sort of a style, so to speak. One of the things, I guess, we have to take into account, the director, I'm going to pronounce his name in Mandarin here, Shuka. He mostly did Usha films back in those days. And the good thing about Usha films is sometimes you can throw the plot out the window because most people didn't come for the plot. <laughs> it's like, look for the action. Just the action. Everything else is okay. Don't 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 worry about it. We'll figure it out later. He actually directed one of my all-time favorite movies on top of this one, and it's uh, Once Upon a Time in China, which I was hoping to cover in film studies and it's still not happening yet because I know someone is a big fan of this one, so I'd like to have this person, but I'm not disclosing anything. My own one sentence is, no, I am hungry, because <laughs> this movie made me hungry. Maybe not as much towards the end, but oh, although still, I would still try a few things there. And I give it a five stars. I was very happy. You know, the movies in film studies, a lot of them are movies I really loved as a teenager. Sometimes they didn't age that well. This one I too. There are bits which age, but I still enjoyed it very, very much. On that, it's time for me to go through the sometimes tedious exercise of reading the plot of the movie. I tend to try to be too exhaustive, but uh, there we go. And spoiler alert, if anyone among you has not seen that movie and wish to, although the plot might not be the most important things, this summary will give you all the spoils you can imagine. The movie opens in Beijing, with a display of hundreds of tasty-looking dishes. After three months of intense cooking competition, Master Liu Kit for Guangzhou is facing Lung Kuangbo from Hong Kong. They are played by Kenny B and Wenju Zhou. The final will be decided in three challenges, rice cooking, food sculpture, and fish cooking. Side note. You do not want a girlfriend to, quotation mark, consolidate those varieties of rice in a single container. <laughs> Hashtag YTA. The face-off is epic, with mind-blowing cooking methods, light-speed slicing skills, and delicate sculpting. But 
Master Kid gets a phone call informing him that his pregnant wife, Chung Bing, was taken to a hospital. She is played by Chu Shun Ni. Their baby's life is in danger. She needs Kit at her side. After a precious time spent hesitating, Master Kit abandons the competition and leaves for the hospital, where he arrives too late. The baby did not survive. Master Kit's wife is gone. She left a letter saying that Master Kid always gives priority to his cuisine. She cannot stand it anymore. The chef violently throws away the tools of his trade and leaves. Afterwards, his competitor, Master Bo, arrives at the hospital. He finds the letter and the tools left behind by Kid. Five years later, in Hong Kong, a petulant young man called Sun, played by Leslie Chung, is attempting to pass a competition for a job as a chef in a hotel abroad in Canada. Despite his pyrotechnics, his attempt to cheat his way through fails. You are disqualified. Later, Sun is brooding about his failure in the Hong Kong hotel lobby. A crowd of loan sharks, including his cousin, tries to discourage him from becoming a cook. He is a talented loan shark after all. But Sun doesn't want to be a loan shark anymore. He wants to go live with his Japanese girlfriend in Canada. He wants to become an honest cook. Master Bo was in the lobby and overheard the conversation. He hands Sun a business card and tells him to go ask for a job in his name at the King Han restaurant. Sun presents himself at the King Han where he gets hired. The owner, Oh Hyun Fung, immediately dislikes Sun. After all, Master Bo is a rival of his. Sun's slapstick clumsiness quickly makes things even worse. The owner's daughter, Oh Kai Wai, played by Anita Yoon, is almost punk and spends her time not doing much except trying to upset her father. The father actually takes medication for his heart due to the stress. Wai develops an interest for Sun. It is not clear if it is because of his charms or as another way to upset her father, Fung. The flirtation between the two devolves into a karaoke contest with an ex followed by bike versus sports car chase, and finally a destructive showdown in the restaurant between two gangs and the police. One day, Win Wong, the bossy and rude owner of Supergroup, shows up at the King Han restaurant. After a show of his culinary prowess, Win Wong challenges Feng to a contest inspired by the Manchu Han Imperial Feast. If Feng wins, he'll get a 50 million prize. If he loses, the ownership of the King Han restaurant will go to Supergrove. Feng accepts the bet. On his ride away, Win Wong explains to his minions his plan. Once he will control all the restaurants in Hong Kong, Win Wong will be the most powerful man in China. <laughs> Back at the King Han restaurant, Feng's employees reveal that they are quitting his team. If Feng loses the bet, they will all get better paid jobs from Win Wong. The news gives Feng a heart attack. He is taken to the hospital by Sun, who stays beside Wai as she worries for her father. There is no way that Wai and Sun can win this bet, as they are both terrible cooks. They don't even know what the Manchu Han Imperial Feast is. The couple visit Master Bo for help. Master Bo explains that the Manchu Han Imperial Feast consists of 108 dishes served in six meals over the course of three days. And Master Bo himself is not good enough to cook one. Dun dun dun! But he knows someone who can. It's Master Kit, remember? His rival from the very beginning of this movie. Wai and Sun head for Guangzhou to find the Master Chef. But Kit 
has become a wreck following the trauma from losing his son and his separation from Chung Bing. Why and son manage to get Kit and Bing quotation mark, together? And when Kit is brought to the King Han restaurant, he is welcomed by a crowd of respected chefs, as well as Master Bo, who kept Kit's tool of the trade. Why about a demonstration? I waited to taste that soup stuffed fish of yours since our last face-off. But Kit has lost his five senses. His dishes still look amazing, but they taste terrible. Sun and Bo manage to get Kit his five senses back, but Kit cannot cook with a still broken heart. Way Sun and Bo manage to get Kit and Bing to heal their hearts, I guess. Hashtag cringe, hashtag don't stop being a vegetarian. Oh, also, why stole Sun's picture of his Japanese girlfriend from his wallet to replace it with her own? She even pretended to have burnt his girlfriend's picture, but it was a fake out. After all this, Sun will leave for Canada. Finally, it is time for the cooking showdown. The contest will be judged by two men from different regions of China and a third one cosplaying as a conservative Japanese. A lot of endangered animals are on the menu to captivate all your senses. Well, in our case, it's only our sight since we are watching a movie. But the cinematography of those dishes is really appetizing. Bear paws, including one from a polar bear, shark fins, spiral livers for decoration, elephant trunks, different types, and finally, monkey brains. Or heroes even serve their monkey brain out of the open skull of a live monkey after pouring scorching oil directly on the exposed brain. What a... But stop! Here comes the police and the animal protection agency. They got a tip that someone was cooking endangered animals around here. I made the call, reveals Wing Wong from Supergroup. The King Han team is cruel. They serve live monkey brains. Me, on the other hand, I only cook the brain of a goat. <laughs> Psyched, replies the King Han team. It was not a monkey's brain. It was some sculpted soy cheese. The monkey skull was only a coconut shell. Vegetarians for the win! Well, except we marinated the soy cheese in chicken brains, but, but still. The judges are astonished. Those dishes really tasted like illegal monkey brains. <laughs> anyway, they decide that Wing Wong lost because he has a terrible personality. Sometimes later, at the King Han restaurant, a wedding is the opportunity for the whole team to meet again. Why is running the restaurant now? Well, Fung, her father, is fooling around. Master Bo has a surprise for Y. Sun is with him! Y grabs his wallet and finds it is now a picture that he keeps in there. They kiss, everyone celebrates, even the movie's director and the filming crew are there to celebrate. The end. Whew! So, that was a lot. You know, when you got to like the part about the monkey brain, I all of a sudden kind of just thought, maybe this film is the reason why I'm vegetarian nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's the third correlation there. (laughs) They're like, okay, that was not a monkey's brain. That was still a polar bear's paw and the paw of a bear. Yeah. Unless those things were (laughs) fake as well. Maybe they were cake all along. Yeah. I don't know. I like the reaction of the judges when it's broken to them that, oh, that was not monkey brain. And they they make a gesture like, oh, oh my God, it was not endangered monkey brain. What was it? Like they were disgusted, and it's like, what? What else do you think? <laughs> what worst thing could that be? 
Because in the version I've watched, apparently it's implied it's human brain. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's that's why they were reacting that way, because they thought they'd come in a cannibalism. <laughs> what? No, wait, no, that, no, that's not monkey brain. It's something very similar. <laughs> oh! Okay. Yeah, because I was like, yeah, what did you think it was worse? I also like the idea that that taste was amazing. We really thought it was monkey brain. And I was like, where do these people eat because apparently they are used to the flavor of those things enough to be judging them so they're still criminals back in those days it was uh, well even nowadays oh, actually in some parts oh. of the world it's it's legal to eat those stuff <laughs> which uh <laughs> cringe i feel like yeah like wealthier people they're like yeah into that <laughs> Still amazing. I think I would still try that polar bear po. I mean, I would not order it, but if it was in front of me, I guess it was like, well, the bear is dead already, so I cannot, I cannot save it. Yeah. So I guess I would try it. Any dishes you would try or and not try? We've got the question, which is a favorite <laughs> and worst moment for you in the movie. What's your favorite and worst dish that you would have a taste of or in no way never eat, even if you got offered money or something? So I'd definitely try the fish. Like, fish, I'd be like, okay, this is fine. But the polar bear is like, nope, definitely not. <laughs> no done. Though there is a place in Philadelphia, and I believe it's called, like, World Hot Dogs or Journey Dogs or something like that, where they have, like, strange meats in their hot dogs. So they have, like, alligator or snake or, I mean, I've had snake before, but... They just make these meats sort of feel like it's normalized. And I feel like if it were in a hot dog, then I'd be like, oh, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> but then after knowing what's in it, I'd probably not want to eat that. <laughs> mm -hmm. What about you, Yvonne? I mean, you're vegetarian, so... Yeah, I'm vegetarian, so the only things I can eat are right at the very beginning, the rice and the tofu. <laughs> but... Let's go back 10 years or more and say I'm not vegetarian back in those days. And probably when I was a kid, I would probably try the gulag ro. And also when the chef from Supergroup went in, he made a dish of, it's like a fried hefen, basically. Oh, that looks really good. Yeah. Apparently that dish is, it actually stemmed from this film and it actually became a dish. That was pretty common. Oh. Because the movie popularized it. Wow. Like, <laughs> so that's probably something I would try if I could still eat meat. <laughs> Is it the one with the crispy noodles yeah. that he cooks? Uh, okay. Yeah. That looks really good. Yeah. They actually didn't use the noodles that they wanted to use because it didn't flip. Like, you know how he was doing ah. the flips, right? It didn't yeah, create yeah. the effect that the director wanted, so it threw a different kind of noodle. <laughs> and that's actually part of how like a new dish was born as a result of this movie. That's hilarious. I know. I love how over the top the cooking is. All of it is very over the top. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you would not be able to make a regular like you would not be able to make anything with <laughs> any of the techniques shown. It's almost a formula, almost, for the Chinese cooking competition shows now. You have to have, one, very, very over-the-top cooking. Yeah. And two, most of it is comedy outside of the cooking. And three, the judges have to overreact everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, eat, 
oh, this is so good. Let me ascend to heaven. <laughs> right. So good. I'm always a big fan of the, you get your camera closer and you zoom out at the same time effect. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the expanding sort of shot. It's a bit like in my childhood, you would watch Dragon Ball and the meal would be mistranslated. So <laughs> a rice ball becomes a, a burger or something. But the second one is sweet and sour pork, and it seems to be encased in ice. <laughs> is it actually warm, or is it ice that I see? I'm not sure what I see on screen. Um, I'm guessing here, actually. So basically, inside it is sweet and sour pork, which is sort of a traditional dish. And the outside part, I think that might actually be a shell of tapioca powder. Mm-hmm. Because tapioca powder, when you mix it with water... And then when you cook it, it actually becomes clear. Mm. And then if you chill it really quickly, it becomes crispy. Okay. And so the whole concept is they wrap the sweet and sour pork with a crispy and clear shell. And so that's why it's called the crystal sweet and sour pork, basically. That I would (laughs) definitely eat. (laughs) I'm guessing here. (laughs) That's a very strong theory, I find. Because in the French sub, it just says... Sweet and sour pork, it doesn't even say crystals, sweet and sour pork. It's a bit confusing. Actually, the names of all of the dishes are actually pretty special as well. In Chinese, for cooking films, very often we like to give names, like cheng yu is, it's aphorisms, I think, right? Mm -hmm. We like to pair those sometimes with dish names. And so for the competition itself, the bear paw one, it's called Yizhang Qianquan, which basically means to hold the whole world in your hand, basically. To hold the whole wow. Tai Chi thing in your hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the dubbing I saw that was this one, because I remember Wing Wong saying those mm. syllables. Banana, what would be your favorite moment and least favorite moment? I would say like all the cooking scenes were great. And then my favorite scenes... Honestly, like any time they shot a scene outside in Hong Kong, just because it like made me feel things. <laughs> um, mm, yeah. But then like also like just the exterior of the banquet hall before they went upstairs or went into like the actual restaurant. You see those shots of the restaurant outside with the signs and it's usually gold. It has the stairs, the front, and it's lined with red carpet, but it's like everywhere. I remember that being like a very common thing in Hong Kong in general, just like any sort of fancy restaurant would have something like that. I think my least favorite, so I have two. Um, One was probably the monkey. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That was just like, oh my God, I can't take this. And then the second one is probably the slapstick fish. Remember the giant fish that was just attacking everyone? Mm -hmm. I would say that at the accidental kissing, because I know that that's a thing for this director where he loves having the accidental kissing in every movie. (laughs) That was definitely a moment of, okay, can we just get this over with? Just just throw throw the fish out. Yes, out the window. Out the window. Thank you very much. (laughs) Is that you in the restaurant, Yvonne, saying, I'm becoming a vegetarian because that's what she says. The customer. (laughs) Yes, that was (laughs) it. Do you share the same favorite and least favorite moment of the movie, Yvonne? I definitely share the least favorite moment in terms of the monkey brain, because (laughs) it was definitely one of those things, when you see again, you're just, oh my god, this was so scarring when I watched this when I was probably six or seven. (laughs) 
that I still remember watching the scene when it happened. I just like because spoiler alert. So basically, what they do is they take the hot soup and then they pour it on the quotation marks monkey brain, and then there's the sound of the monkey screaming. <laughs> oh God! Just that's something like that just leaves a scar in your mind and doesn't leave for years and years. Apparently. I feel like I blocked that out of my memory, and that's why I don't remember this film, like, watching it until, yeah, like, exactly. now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Until, <the> <laughs> until that very moment where you're just like, oh my god, I remember this <laughs> I have watched it! I'd seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom before, so <laughs> I was sort of prepared to monkey brains and horrible things, so I, I was not that shocked by this one. But what was your favorite moment, uh, Yvonne? I have two. The first one is when they did the karaoke competition, kind of underground pub. Yeah, the girls started singing very horribly, but the reason I like that scene is because it's actually a reference to a much older Hong Kong movie that actually had the first version of Carmen in Chinese. It's called The Wild Wild Rose, and it, it came out in the 1960s. In that, the singing was actually good. <laughs> and the guy was very smitten for the right reasons. Whereas here, the guy was smitten for... We're not really sure what reason, but it's certainly not the... Not the skill in singing. But I really like that reference, because it sort of made sense, given the age of the actors, as well as the whole crew, that they will make a reference to that film. It's, it's, it's really nice having you both, because... You know, I love that scene. I put it as my favorite as well. <laughs> I, I just love the performance from Anita and Leslie. Mm-hmm. And just the stance of Anita mm-hmm. <laughs> when we discover she's about to sing at the karaoke. Mm-hmm. She's got a posture like that with her hands raised above her head. Mm-hmm. It's got a very big feel of, okay, things are getting serious now. And then, of course, they absolutely don't. And then she opens her mouth and... <laughs> And everybody's just like, please, can someone get them to stop? Please, <laughs> please. And the song is French, actually. So yeah, it's a original. I got this layer for myself. Is it French for you? Or was it in Chinese? I don't know. She sings so bad. <laughs> and uh, it's part of the charm. But I'm not sure if bits of it are still the original lyrics. Because the original song is in French. But at the same time, it's being sung by so many performers. Mm-hmm. Usually when you hear it, you cannot really understand understand it although it's in French because it's sort of <laughs> mispronounced mm. each time it, it's kind of weird so mm-hmm. here yeah. I was like is she attempting it my assumption at the end was there's both I assume that the main part <laughs> might have been bits in French with the, the rest of it in uh, either Chinese or, or Cantonese mm-hmm. yeah and the ex who also joins <laughs> also sings <laughs> Terrible. It's so good. At first I was like, she's here to save the day. No. <laughs> she's here to make it worse. <laughs> and they yell at each other over the microphone. Yeah. There was an extra moment where there's like both of the guys got together and be like, yeah, just just this is just how women are. <laughs> Let's just go a draw, like between the two of us and let them do whatever. <laughs> Even I want to get in on that solidarity because I'm like, please, just stop. <laughs> My second favorite moment is when all of a sudden we actually became a Hong Kong action film. <laughs> I was just like, yes, finally. Do you mean the fight in the restaurant or the car chase? The fight in the restaurant that happened much later between Master Bo and 
the guy from Supergroup. <laughs> because it's just like, sudden 180 degree switch to action film, and I'm just like, <laughs> yes, this is actually more like it. <laughs> because of course, if you're a great chef in Hong Kong, you're also great at martial mm. art, I guess uh, that's the message. <laughs> the thing is, the whole cast and crew... Oh yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> usually, yeah, they usually get together for martial arts films. Apparently, they just did this script out of, uh, we have this script available, do you guys want to do it? And it's like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> I didn't know that was why they did this. <laughs> they just got together, and then like, all of a sudden, this part is just sort of like, when are all these action films, where the all these kung fu stars going to actually start doing kung fu? And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, it's here. <laughs> and this was actually the part that switched to Cantonese for me in the version that I watched. Ah, okay. Oh, that's weird. Why didn't you yeah. that? Before, most of it was in Chinese, dubbed actually, because usually the way they do it is they take the Hong Kongese film, they get Chinese dubbers to basically dub over it. That's the way film went about between Hong Kong, Taiwan, and China back in the day. And so the version I watched, it was dubbed in Chinese with the exception of just that tiny little bit, which remained in Cantonese. And I'm not really sure why they did that. Interesting. It often happens in France, Germany, and so on. They often overdub movies. And it's very common that during action scene or singing scene, they don't change the original dub. Maybe they don't have access to the master with, you know, all the separate tracks of the sound, or they just cannot be bothered doing it. My own favorite one would be the karaoke, but also a scene I'm always crying. And I'm not entirely sure why. I guess it's the performance and the cinematography. It's the parody of a Japanese movie when Sun and Y are having a conversation about his Japanese girlfriend. I found out that actually there again, it's a parody from an actual movie from 1974 uh, called uh, Izu no Odoriko which is the dancer from Izu. Oh, yes! It's just the performance, which is very stiff, the lack of expression. It it really reminds me, I don't know, movies by Ozu. And at the same time, the performers who are in this vibe, exchanging comments like, why am I holding a piece of bamboo right now? I I kind of forgot about that part, honestly. (laughs) That was a really funny part. (laughs) There's a lot. Also, you mentioned you got all those talented martial artists and they don't do any martial art. <laughs> There's a singing scene, but Leslie... Sh- Leslie doesn't sing! In fact, I'm not sure if this is also in the canto version. There was actually a line in there where I th- a singer came on on a radio and then they said, oh, that's leaving, not Leslie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because um, back in those days, leaving and Zhang Guorong, Leslie, were like the two kind of competing <laughs> singers heartthrobs back in the day. Yeah. So I was just like, oh my god, talk about breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> Goodbye. My least favorite one would have been the wife of Kit. She's got a weird arc. The whole movie is a comedy, but when there's a dramatic scene, they go full-on drama. Mm-hmm. The miscarriage scene and the heart attack scene are both horrible. <laughs> I mean, they're really well done. But they're very (laughs) shocking in the middle of this comedy. And yeah, the wife leaves right after her miscarriage. And when she comes back, she's apparently a big shot developer. And she decides, I guess, to give Mm -hmm. that away for her husband. And she even says, oh, I'm a vegetarian, but I'm going to eat that meat now to support (laughs) you. It was a bit, what are you doing here? 
I, I guess she's in love, but yeah, uh, so it was a bit. Mm. That was very over the top. Yeah, just like I'll give up everything. I <laughs> know. Uh, oh yeah, I cooked dinner for you. You uh, used to say terrible that, at uh, cooking. <laughs> that was garbage. <laughs> I found it interesting that she did that after his senses returned, <laughs> not before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 and, I, and I like that he doesn't say something like, yeah, yeah, I was a prick. No, he's like, yeah, your cooking is bad, but, you know, it's, it's your cooking and I love you, I guess. <laughs> Banana, would that be a movie you would recommend specifically for tabletop RPG fans and, and why? So I think it depends if it's an audience that enjoys silly games And I mean silly games as in usually games that maybe you would play to lose. So like Fiasco or John Shibble in the Banquet Hall, just, you know, throwing my pitch in there. If you enjoy games like that, then I think that this is like a great movie for you to like check out just to get some like ideas on the ridiculous plotting that they have. Because it's like a thing after another, right? It's one bad thing happens. Oh no, another bad thing happens. Oh, we have to fix this problem. It's just like patching up problems. That's sort of the style that I play in games. And not everyone enjoys that. Some people like to level up with their characters. Other players like to have a pretty straightforward story arc. But I really just enjoy ridiculous things, one thing happening after another. <laughs> What about you, Yvonne? Definitely along the same lines of Banana. I would recommend it for a certain audience and not certain audiences as well. Most of the people I play with tend to be more, like, they tend to take plot more seriously. And so this probably wouldn't be a film that I would recommend them on the grounds of a tabletop RPG. I would probably recommend them to watch it for the sake of a drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> like a beer pretzels game, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, it, it definitely... <laughs> I would personally really recommend it to tabletop RPG fans on the basis that I think it's great to have something which shows epic actions and epic stories and drama, but around something else than physical fights, with the exception of that one fight in the middle. So many games we play are about physical confrontation. This movie shows that actually you can have something extremely fun and epic with no actual fight, just using cooking in this case, but I guess you could do it with anything else, really. Say that this was in a TTRPG context, does that mean the Kung Fu fight scene was probably be added because either they switched the GM or they needed XP? <laughs> <laughs> or the players complain, like, I need Max my character. <laughs> Let me do something! Okay, fine, here's an actual fight! <laughs> so hold on a minute, because there we got actually something, because just before You got the players of Y and Sun. They come to visit Bo. And I imagine the players like, okay, I min-maxed my cooking skills. I took a specialty in Hong Kong style cooking. I'm so min-maxed and I also have some Kung Fu. So far, I didn't use any fighting skills. That's all right. But now I've got the other players coming to ask me to help them with a the cooking contest. And I'm like, yeah, I'm game. I'm going to do the cooking contest. The first one I did actually got canceled. <laughs> because the other player had to leave for some reason. He got a call from his girlfriend. But I'm ready now. And then the two players, Sun and Y, are like, okay, we're doing this cooking contest. Great, what is it? It's a Manchu Han cooking contest. And the player is like, crap, <laughs> that's not within my speciality. 
<laughs> I cannot do it. I cannot do it. We need to call the first player. I didn't build my character for this. You need a specific Text build. You're the player. Because even Max is on character to do this type of contest. And mine cannot. And after that, it's like, crap. I'm like, I'm using just my social skills, which are rubbish. Give me something, Game Master. Give me a fighting scene or something in the Game Master. So, all right, the super group comes back for no reason. Because he already got what he wanted. He's in the thing. I say, okay, okay, wait, let's do this. And I describe what I do this. And then I, I pull him to it. And everyone is like, yeah, fine, okay. <laughs> but uh, that's a nice segue for next question. Which tabletop RPG would be great to adapt this movie into? And uh, I'm going to put... Uh, Banana on the back burner on purpose here because I think you are very keen on talking of a specific game. But even what game would you use to recapture the magic and the plot of the Chinese feast as a game? <laughs> I personally would go with something that has less structure. So in my head, the way I thought about it was I would probably go with Honey Heist or something similar and just switch out the honey and the bear with something else. Cooking and comedy, I guess. Let's just remember. Can I comedy my way out of this? Yes, yes, you can. You, you introduced the bear and honey. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to play a bear yeah. looking for honey. No, In that movie, no. I'm gonna end very poorly for you. Oh no! It's like a no honey ice. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Banana actually came up with a really good one, like Fiasco. I think this would definitely make a very, very good Fiasco-like booklet, I guess. Yeah, but I read something today. because I had a small exchange with Anna Schaffer about the movie, and Fiasco wouldn't work because I read on Wikipedia that the movie is supposed to end on a happy note because it's the theme of all that is called Lunar New Year movies, which always Uh, have a happy ending. Yeah. It's basically Chinese New Year. Oh. A lot of films are sometimes filmed with the idea that they will be commercially released yeah. during Chinese New Year so that people during Chinese New Year will take the time to go to the movies and just watch something. This is part of the reason why they can kind of get away with having absolutely no plot <laughs> <laughs> and just having the cast carry the movie through. It was a huge commercial success. <laughs> I love that movie. I'm very surprised it seems not to be more famous in the English-speaking world because in the French-speaking world, it would have come out in art house cinema, I guess, in France and Belgium. But uh, it was at a time when DVDs were getting very popular and people definitely exchanged that one and you could see it in supermarket, not in large copies, not at the front of a gondola, but... People knew about it. Mm-hmm. I guess it, it's been also bootlegged a lot. There was a lot of Hong Kong cinema in France and Belgium at the time, thanks to DVDs, because everybody was looking for content like that, and there was a void to fill. Banana, I believe you are keen to tell us about a game. I would say, as a suggestion, if we were to... <laughs> Just as a suggestion. Just as a suggestion. <laughs> so, you know, it's random. <laughs> I didn't pick you exactly for that at all. Well, okay, so if we were to adapt this to Fiasco real quick, I would say that maybe the characters would be the other side. So, like, the, you know... The side that, lo- the, the side that loses. The competitors, so... Oh, your super group. 
Yeah, so maybe you're playing the side that loses instead. Oh, yeah. So that way you do get a chance to have a terrible ending. If you win, oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah, you can even play the Lone Sharks, his ex-girlfriend, the other guy. You can play all the villains <laughs> in the movie. That's brilliant. That's a really good idea. I'll let Jason know. <laughs> hey, you should make this. But I think also the other thing that I wanted to talk about was Charge of Blood in the Banquet Hall again. Because honestly, I think that this would be like a good scenario. Like we have a few scenarios that are already about cooking contests, and there's one scenario that has a little bit of martial arts in it. I mean, mix the two together, this could already be a thing. I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about a bit about your game. Actually, what does it center on, and so on? Yeah, of course. So, Joshua, it's about a Chinese-American or Chinese-Canadian family in the 1920s. They're running a restaurant. In the daytime, they're faced with oppression and systemic racism and all the terrible things that happen just living in Chinatown during that time. But at night, those terrible things manifest themselves physically as hopping vampires, as Joshua, and they, like, come out and attack everyone. Cool. It's a very family-friendly game. <laughs> My own suggestion to adapt it, at first I was thinking Passion de la Passionnesse. Maybe you could do something with that. But actually, I think one which would be appropriate would be Damn the Man Save the Music. Again, you would have to tweak it so it's not as likely to finish in a bad way. But in Damn the Man Save the Music, you have to pick whether you want to push forward your personal objective or the objective of the group. So you definitely could play. Why who wants to seduce son, son who wants just to become a chef in order to leave. Each character have their own goals versus the common goal, which is to win the contest. And uh, there's sort of this very chaotic way of shaping things while having the structure of the game. I think that could be a nice hack of Damn the Man, Save the Music. I think I'm going to subtitle this episode. Damn the cook, save the dish. <laughs> yeah, Damn the food chain, save the culinary tradition. <laughs> That's not very traditional, the food in there. Uh, mm, yeah. <laughs> that is, no, I mean, it fits the film very well. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, these were all traditional dishes that were served back in the day because you only had to serve the emperor, so it was okay. It's such a ridiculous idea, too. Having such a massive feast like, yeah. for three days or whatever. There's actually a lot of theories about the Manhattan Imperial Feast as to whether it actually is 108 dishes. I read an article where they talked about how one of the historians actually looked into it and said, actually, the first six dishes or so, you don't actually eat it because those are actually supposed to be used for prayers Ooh. for the Imperial ancestors oh. first. So those dishes are made just as grand as the feasts should be, but then it's not actually meant to be eaten by the people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. I'm glad we killed that polar bear not to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> we cut that trunk of that elephant. Yeah, thankfully, most of those are illegal, hopefully, now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we discussed a tiny bit that before we started recording, but in the movie, there are several references of speaking 
Chinese versus Cantonese and there seems to be something going on with people belonging to different subgroups of China. And you two speak one Cantonese, one Chinese. Is that correct? Mandarin. Mandarin. Mandarin okay, I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if that's what it's called in French. AKA Manchurian, <laughs> quotation marks. <laughs> so Mandarin and Manchurian are connected then. Yeah. It's really the theme of the movie, Manchu versus Han then. Yeah. Though what language Han spoke, it's hard to trace to a certain extent. Yeah. I was wondering because towards the end when they're having the contest, Wing Wong is dressed mm-hmm. as a Manchurian. Am I correct to read that in the attire he's wearing? Uh, yes, I believe he was. I think that's like a... I, I need to go back and check. But I think his whole team was wearing... Was it like Qing Dynasty? Oh, he was yeah. dressed up as the emperor. Yeah, he was dressed up as the Qing emperor. And then the rest are in the uniform <laughs> yeah. of the eunuchs. Though a little bit fancier. It was so <laughs> okay. ridiculous. So basically his team is sort of like he's the emperor and then everybody else is like the posse. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually, if you come to think about it, makes sense given how the Manchu feast came about. Because... On Wikipedia, I say 66, birthday of, I think it was Qianlong, one of the important emperors in the Qing dynasty. And I think he was also the one where he overthrew a bunch of eunuchs with his own tiny little group. <laughs> and so it's sort of like mimic that. It's like him and his tiny little posse, kind of like, <laughs> how are we going to defeat our enemy? <laughs> There's an ego in that guy. <laughs> wow. I was also a bit dubious of the Wikipedia article about the Manchu Han Imperial Feast, because when it lists dishes, I was like, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a historic dish. I think that's a dish from the movie. And not only it was a dish from the movie, but it was a dish which was disqualified mm. by the Japanese judge saying, you're not supposed to serve soup that early in the competition. Was it because they already had fish as one of the challenges? Mm-hmm. Or they were about to? Yeah, that's what I got, yeah. I need to add to that a bit. So the reason why that dish was disqualified is because the stock they used (laughs) was a fish stock soup. (laughs) That's the tiny little detail that made all the difference. And I was like, oh my god. (laughs) Right. It was because he was talking about it in the context of the entire Manchurian feast. So basically... I think it's like, it's over three days, right? And then it's six dishes over three days. And so on the same day, you will eat the fish as well as the bear. And so therefore, if you use an ingredient that contains fish in the bear dish, you therefore basically have a repeat. And so as a result, our hero's dish is better than the supergroup's dish (laughs) because... They didn't have that overlap. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> so it's sort of like, think about the greater context of the whole matter if you say how it should be. <laughs> Thank you, Japanese judge. It's ridiculous, but then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, like that yeah. logic makes sense. <laughs> I have to know, one of the judges is actually the food consultant that they use. Oh, wow. Okay. For the film. <gasps> oh. <laughs> the kind of like plump guy with like glasses and mustache. <laughs> When you said that, I was sure it was him, because I don't know why he looks genuine. <laughs> He's a pretty famous food critic, and he was the consultant for the film. And then they were like, hey! <laughs> he plays quite well. Yeah. I think he's believable when he's like, mm, that's very good, and the light is changing from blue to red around me. That lighting was so good. <laughs> 
I like that you said the plot is irrelevant, but then suddenly there's this detail which is very important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is true. Regarding the themes and ideas that we witness in this movie, are there some you'd like to borrow for a role-playing game? I would say the judging aspect, for sure. That could definitely be gamified, especially with like rolling dice to see if they like the dish or not. And just seeing people play stressed-out chefs is exciting <laughs> to me. <laughs> so like using the Imperial Feast as like a, a theme, I think that would be a lot of fun to play out. You mean like in a historical setting, you go there, maybe you need to hunt the bear and catch the elephant yeah. and the monkey, the mountain, and you're on a quest for <laughs> yeah. each component. Yeah, like each thing is a different quest. It's just your entire livelihood is dependent on this one feast, like trying to make people happy. And you're just like super stressed out. You can probably level up from four to an eight <laughs> on a D&D or a Pathfinder skill yeah. adventure. Yeah. You can even have the old trope of What was this movie called, which was, and again, you got an investigator from USSR having to investigate with a New York cop. And here you have one player is a Manchu and the other is a Han. And <laughs> they don't like each other at the beginning of the adventure, but they need to work together to get all those dishes. Yeah, like a buddy cop movie. <laughs> It's just called oh, Manchu and Han. And they on each side of the poster. <laughs> yeah, that would totally work. What about you, Ivan? What would you borrow from this movie? For me, it's probably the ingredients, actually. Because the thing, like, my dad works in the food industry, and so I kind of inherited all the <laughs> kind of, how do you actually make this dish? And like, oh, how do you, what's the cooking <laughs> technique and everything? For me, it was definitely interesting, even though I kind of like, gagged at it because the ingredients. But if I were to make a game, I would definitely borrow the ingredients aspect, where it's like, you take this ingredient and you take another ingredient and you mix them together and you put it through this cooking method then it's like a, the cooking method is a multiplier and that gives you how many points so it's almost like a card game and then your goal will be basically to mix your cards and then put a multiplier through it and then see whoever gets like the highest score at the end <laughs> i guess it's pushing forward the mechanics behind cooking in uh, zelda breath of the wild <laughs> you you got all this ingredient you put them in a pot together mm -hmm. and you're like okay that's cooked now is it good yeah it's good <laughs> i'm a cook no it's not good minus one height <laughs> oh no <laughs> it's like that fish it looks perfectly fine but for some reason <laughs> oh it looks so good that fish mm -hmm. although very slimy inside Honestly, with a slight cat, I was like, uh, nope, nope, this is, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. What I, I would definitely borrow, it's interesting because it, on your side, it's a criticism. But again, I too, it was sort of a traditional ways of storytelling because most of the Chinese movies, not all, I appreciate from this director, is this idea of having stories with a lot of protagonists and they run parallel. In a way, it feels very role-playing game already, you know, with the players each with their background and you're like okay oh do i get all of this together how do you manage that in your own game i usually try to do it so it's more like a larp breaking up scenes into story beats so that we have one plot line for or at least one scene for maybe two players and then you know breaking that up into chunks so that maybe you're grouping the players together so that way they all have their own spotlight It is harder with a lot of players, for sure. But I would say just like trying to break 
the time up between them so that everyone gets a scene is uh, is really important. Actually, a LARP, a King Han <laughs> Imperial Feast LARP. Oh my! That would be so cool. <laughs> that would be so much fun. I mean, like, I don't know about the cooking part. Like, that might be a little tricky to do if people don't know how to, like, you know, cook. Maybe we'll have a recipe. Like, there's a recipe available for people to make, and it's just like pretty simple. Like, it doesn't require too much, but that would be cool. I guess everything is cake or, you know, a meat replacement mince, which you shaped in the shape of a bear. <laughs> so everything looks different, <laughs> but actually everything is the same. Yeah, something like that. Or it can be like some of those um, reality game shows, like Survivor or... What was the one that could go around the world? I can't really remember the title of. But then it's like they have challenges and you don't actually cook the food, but you just do challenges like how many times can you flip the walk? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's smart, yeah. That's a really, really difficult challenge. There's actually a special instrument used to train cooks. It's basically like a frisbee. And then basically what you have to do is you basically shake the walk and then you basically flip that again and again and again to train your arm. Wow. Walks are heavy. Yeah, walks are heavy. <laughs> Like, a lot of modern cooks actually go to the gym because they just have to use their upper body so much. Oh, I would never get into a fight with a chef. Wow. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's true. You know, even with Western chefs, they're quite buffed. Yeah. They've got knives and they might be cooked up as well. Oh, <laughs> so. my God. <laughs> they're good with knives. Uh, they know where to stab for maximum damage. <laughs> Yeah, they, they carve you out and they can I mean they can even get rid of Maybe your body yeah. you know they can cut you in pieces <laughs> literally and then feed you to their customers it's, it's actually terrible <laughs> oh, yeah. I like how this is the moral of the story that we've landed on <laughs> like don't don't mess with chefs <laughs> yeah don't mess with chefs <laughs> oh, are there things you still want to highlight in regards to this movie and tabletop role-playing games I remember in the very, very last scene uh, for the wedding. I'm actually surprised because I didn't know this was a tradition. Apparently, you play Mahjong games at the actual wedding feast itself. Oh. Okay. Like, I spotted that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Because we only have the feast in Taiwan. We don't have the Mahjong tables playing at the same time. I've only ever been to one Chinese wedding, so I don't know. <laughs> Did you have electric lights in the eyes of roasted pork oh oh we have it yeah so, so we have that or we have the little cherries maraschino cherries so if you don't have lights you would just put the maraschino i think most people do the maraschino cherries now yeah i think they do that in belgium too uh, of course the classic is the apple in the mouth that's uh that, that, that's not even a picture that that's even a picture you'll find in popular culture all the time yeah and it's just like one big eating fest really and then giving money to the bride and groom. <laughs> what I love with this movie, it's a big mess, but it's so rich with stuff. There's a lot of little details which I find very intriguing. I love how when they all get arrested <laughs> by the police and they get out of the police station, <laughs> the restaurant owner and the loan sharks are brushing themselves with tree branches to remove the smell of the police. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> There's a lot of little details like that. Okay, uh, is that it? There's a whole other area to go into if you just want to talk about, like, film, <laughs> I think. Oh, I mean, go ahead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and also the food as well, because Chinese feasts in themselves 
they're very, very important, especially for weddings, Chinese New Year, and, and everything. It sort of just like reflects just how important we take the occasion.、Uh-huh. The tradition in Taiwan, actually, we call this bando, or like to make a table. And back in the day, the way that they did it in the countryside was the chef.、Uh-huh. We call them zongposai. They basically go from whichever house needed the chef, and they will basically just take their equipment. So it's sort of like a box, or sometimes it's just a wicker basket. And then they will basically just go from house to house every other day or something like that to make the dishes and everything. And they're also still like elaborate as well. There was actually a film I don't remember the name, but it sort of copied the storyline of the Chinese feast.、Mm-hmm. But instead of doing the Manchurian feast, they did a traditional Taiwanese bando style. Face basically, and it also has a storyline, sort of, of the daughter trying to live up to the standards of her father, and then there's also the love interest who's also a chef, and then there's like the comedic people in the back. I wondered if this film actually gave rise to like a whole new genre of films that is surrounding feasts and food and competitions. And it sort of set the standard and the pace, as well as the tone at times.、Mm. So yeah, that's definitely something that would be interesting to look into,、mm. like just how many different films there are of the subgenre, almost. When you mentioned the cook who travels between households to cook feasts,、mm-hmm. now I would really like a series of adventures or a TV show. You would follow that cook,、mm-hmm. and you would discover a different family. Oh, yeah! Each time, <laughs> each season, or every three episodes, it changes household, and you find out. Okay, that's a new feast. That's a wedding feast. That's I don't know a funeral feast or not a christening, but a celebration of a birth. <laughs> and、uh, each time you change it, you all cast except the cook. Something a bit like. Family drama, but、mm-hmm. structure like、uh, I think it's called、mm-hmm. Mushishi, the sort of fantastical Netflix yeah, yeah. animated show. You got that character traveling the country, the spirits, yeah. But each time it's about the locals and the, the relationship to spirits. That would be quite cool、mm-hmm. to have that with food. <laughs> I guess it's time to part ways. I got quite a bit to edit already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, classroom, for listening to us today. You can find the RPG Academy on Twitter at the RPG Academy, and you will find all the various shows of the RPG Academy on the podcaster of your choice. I am Kalum from the Rollist Podcast. You can find me at Rollist Pod, also a variety of shows. Both myself for as the Rollist and the RPG Academy, we've got patrons, so we do everything we do out of our love for the hobby, but we do have expenses, and、uh, your financial support can help us. Produce even more content and maybe be a bit faster when we edit all the stuff we record. So please go there and、uh, maybe find some bonus content over there. Oh, by the way, speaking of bonus content, my own bonus content includes Cafe Rollist, which has a early release on my Patreon, and we're gonna have in January a series of episodes called Road to Session Zero. It will be dedicated to designers. From an attending session zero, which is a Southeast Asia-based convention, which anyone can participate online, so I recommend to do that. We have a series of five interviews dedicated to them. Banana,、uh, uh, sorry, banana. 
Sorry, I had a Belgian song coming to my head, which is called Banana Split. <laughs> I will send it to you later if you wish. But uh, yeah, it was just ringing in my head. It's a big classic from the 80s. But <laughs> Banana, what's your final plug and where can people find you? Thanks for having me on. Our latest project was Questlings, a tabletop role-playing game for kids. I believe you can still get it at BackerKit if you did not sign up for that. It's really cool. It's got a really awesome safety toolkit for kids. It uses like emojis. So oh, wow. who doesn't love emojis? And you can find me on Twitter at Banana Chan Games. And you can find my company, Game in a Curry, at Game in a Curry, also on Twitter. Great. Even. Uh, uh, as I said before, most of my work is on NDA at the moment, so I can't Shh, plug them. It's a secret. I'm so sad. <laughs> when is the NDA ending? Uh, mm, uh, I don't know. Okay. I will ask then when I did this. Um, I'll let you know if there are Kickstarters that I might be in or if there's work as well. Great, but where can we find you? I can always be found on Twitter at SenHHS. You can also find my card there, which will lead to some of the stuff that I have worked on before. And you might be able to find a few songs that I have written for an indie zine about tabletop. Great. Uh, well, that's it for this film studies. Thanks to the both of you. It brought more to my experience of this movie. So that's great. I think I'm going to go check it out a second time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. One of the projects that Min has officially launched on Kickstarter. Realmworld Media is continuing their Cities of Myth series with their next installment, Atlantis Divided. This D&D 5e setting is based, of course, on the legendary sunken city of Atlantis, with the theme of the society there being divided ideologically into those who live above and those who live below. Will your characters be able to unite the city before a catastrophe unlike the one that sunk Atlantis thousands of years ago occur again? You only know if you play and find out. Within this book, you'll find 10 new ancestry and heritages, 26 new subclasses, 11 new backgrounds, mechanics for the mystical metal or rakelkum and the magic tech that runs on them, an entire pantheon, factions, places, and more. All in Cities of Myth Atlantis Divided. Our Kickstarter runs until April 6th, which is quickly approaching, so grab a copy before it's too late. Thank you!